1: Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly movie podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large. And yes, as always, because in spite of the weird sci-fi thriller that we're living through right now, there's still a lot to talk about in the movie world, lots of things happening in the industry, films we've been watching, TV things we've been watching, and of course, this new world that we're living in, however long we have to live in it. How are you holding up on your end, Dan?
0: I'm good. I really can't complain. Um, I'm used to working at home um, more than most, and uh, you know, the news just keeps coming. Um, there's there's a lot of breaking stuff, a lot to get into, and we're going to cover a lot today. Today, this morning, first thing, uh, head of Universal Studios, uh, Jeff Shell uh, tested positive. Um, this is, uh, sad news. Uh, I hope everybody at your end, um, all your friends and family are, are doing okay, Eric.
1: As far as I can tell, I mean, it's obviously it's a scary time, but I've been living in this headspace for a while. I mean, Seattle was sort of an epicenter before New York's real sort of explosion of cases and my parents live there. So I'm sort of used to this dichotomy between, uh, the experiences on the ground and the news media. So a lot of people have been asking, are you okay? Is everything okay there? I mean, look, things are not okay in New York as much as Governor Cuomo has been, I think, doing a good job of messaging confidence. We are uh, in desperate need of, of more ventilators and uh, hospital space. However, I'm okay. And uh, I'm working harder than ever and getting through each day, trying to keep tabs on everything that's happening both in the big picture of the industry and on the smaller scale of the independent film community. And I have to say, I mean, it's been promising in the sense that I feel like there really is now something that's starting to solidify about finding a way forward. So let's talk about that a little bit, starting with movie theaters. When we spoke before, movie theaters had shut down and it was this real kind of unknown about what this portends for the future. Now it's still it's still that to some degree. Movie theaters are still closed, and we don't know what kind of a world they will reemerge in. But with this government bailout, it does seem like there is some hope on the horizon. What's your take on? So that whole situation now.
0: Well, the theaters were really hurting and they were lobbying hard uh, to get help, to get some kind of bailout. And the big bailout that applies to everyone allows a certain kind of loan terms. It allows um, a lot of assistance for them to stay open and not go bankrupt, which is really what the risk was for several of of the theater chains. And uh, so the the, uh, National Association of Theater Owners uh, put out a, a release, you know, cheering uh, because uh, the financial hardship that they were really facing. Remember that if the, the big studios, the Hollywood companies, they have many ways to, uh, adapt and, and, f- and experiment now and, and play around with all the different, you know, they can go straight to DVD. They could go straight to, you know, premium cable uh, they can, they can go to streaming. Uh, each of the studios has, has adapted in a different way and, and taken their films that are thrown out of theaters and put them up, uh, so that consumers can get to them, but the theaters but that have help only that one thing. They yeah, the multiplexes,
1: as we, we we briefly touched on this last week, and they weren't. They are not thrilled with, for example, how quickly Universal just kind of jumped on the premium VOD no, wagon. Oh, they're very angry about
0: that. Very angry because because that uh, that uh, Trolls World Tour. Uh, that's a that's a that is a new movie, a ninety million dollar movie that could have gone. Uh, into theaters, and if they had just been willing to wait, but you know they're going to get a loan guarantee fund of 454 billion uh, to cover fixed costs while normal revenue flow is interrupted, and they're going to get um, some uh, access to other loans from the small business agency and some tax relief provisions um, and and some credits so that they can hang on to some of their employees instead of laying them off, which some of the chains have already done, including landmark. and and Alamo. People um,
1: moved fast, I think because they didn't know what else they could do and they couldn't play the waiting game and keep people in limbo about their fate in that respect. If you're going to get on unemployment, you better get on unemployment so you can start mapping out a plan. So well, it's that been, was a it's record number today. It's <laughs> that true. Was
0: crazy. Um, it's true. So there are a lot of people hurting uh, in, in the industry. A lot of people uh, hunkering down. That's the word everyone's using. We're hunkered down.
1: <laughs> yeah. Indeed it feels we like we're, we're all in fallout shelters. I mean, it would, it wouldn't be that bad if we were stuck in a movie theater, say like a Metrograph type of place. Cause you'd always have something cool to watch, but unfortunately we weren't able to strategize that way. So we're stuck at home and we have to experience things in other ways. I mean, I am really concerned about the art houses, which don't have the kind of infrastructure that a multiplex does where it's more, it's going to take more than a government bailout for these kinds of institutions to really survive all this stuff. And, and, some of them may not be able to so there is a real sense of that that community needs to mobilize in a big way and figure I do out love what
0: stay. what kino did uh i thought that yeah was kino really marquee cool. yeah
1: great idea and and they just and a lot, lot of people
0: more. came in yeah there's a lot of theater like 150 theaters are involved it's wonderful well, it's a
1: brilliant it's a brilliant idea To test, of course, all the other distributors are looking at it too because they're testing something that that most theaters would not have wanted to do before this idea of you know basically doing a revenue split on a VOD. But you can do it with theaters that might not even end up booking those films anyway. So it actually, for Kino, it allows them to have a wider reach, and for the theaters, it allows them to explore a different approach to to programming that. Who knows, maybe when we get out to the other side of this, some aspect of that will remain intact. So I, That's I'm, I'm the good really side of this, yeah. is that on yeah.
0: all sides, there's a lot of experimentation, a lot of um, efficiencies. Uh, I love the idea that uh, if, if, if you can get rid of a lot of the sort of inflated bullshit promotional kinds of things that people do and get the same results, um, maybe a lot of, of that will go away and and people will learn you know how to do things in a different way it's good
1: well you have to um, explain what you mean by that i mean because people are going to wonder what does she mean by the bullshit marketing oh, stuff the, they,
0: they can't do all the big live events they can't do the big promotions they can't spend the enormous amount of money um you know on installations and parties and premieres and all that stuff i that miss they the parties i like the
1: parties i mean you're that, that's a the social thing guy Eric. well i mean that's the <laughs> thing though i mean one of the things that i think is i mean living in New York, which I think is, you know, on some nights rivals Paris as the movie going capital of the world. Because we have such a great art house scene, going to movies is a very social event. A lot of times when you go out, you're also going to, you know, a premiere party or something like that, and you're seeing the community. And now we have to kind of work overtime to, quote unquote, see that community in other kinds of ways. And what I think will be in the favor of these feeders when things reopen is that people will wanna go out, they will wanna reconnect and they'll need that social experience. The question is, as soon extent. as they
0: feel safe. That's the big yeah. question is yeah. when will that be that it's really safe to go out to a theater again? And Well, China um,
1: has started reopening. And of course, the grocery. Not very encouraging numbers yeah. there,
0: <laughs> but yeah. they're just trying. I mean, they have like five provinces that, that are recovering and, and they're trying it. We'll see. We'll see how it, I know everyone's looking at it very carefully to see how uh, it goes. Um, but the, you know, there may be a period of forgiveness where the studios put a bunch of films in that you know they, that so the theaters can keep the rentals that's what they're doing in yeah in china and,
1: you know and, and eventize the, the hell out of, w- of what you can you know find some anniversary things people are going to want to come out of the woodwork i mean you see folks like christopher nolan already really putting a lot of effort into supporting the idea that movie theaters need as much help as they can right now and presumably that will continue once they're actually open and so really he- need that
0: He's a lucky. He's lucky in the sense that because he has a July release, he uh, finished all the filming, and and it's right. you know it's the people who are in post production who are best able to to get their movies done on time. Whether theaters will be up and running and and ready to go, Tennet could be. It could be that big movie. Uh, that heralds the return uh, for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I think
1: people are already excited to see that film. So, I mean, this only makes it a bigger kind of event if it does get to be released at, you know, I still have to go year.
0: through, right. I still have to go through the whole schedule and sort of figure it out. There's some guesses about when some of the movies are going to come out. I mean, the, the fast and the furious pushed back a whole year and that's sort of looking smart right now because they've got yeah. the date and they know where it, when it is. Others are, are like wonder woman. Um, 1984, there was speculation that that was going go, uh, to go to VOD, which was absurd, really. Uh, that was never going to happen. But um, it, it sort of forced Warner Brothers to come down and pick another date, and they took August 5th, 14th for it. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, you know, the, the big studios are committed to making their money back.
1: I mean, you can't yeah. make
0: your money back online. You just can't if you have well, a, certainly not a with budget a, over a hundred million dollars. Yeah, going to say,
1: Fast and Furious would need the entire damn planet to tune in. Yes, exactly. To, uh, and
0: Warner, Wonder Woman is two hundred million dollars <laughs> too. So you know, forget crazy. about yeah. that.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. And it's just not the same kind of phenomenon at the end of the day. But the either.
0: other Warner Brothers titles that they pushed back are sort of. Like Scoob or whatever that is, they, they they're they were, they're pushed back and they're floating and uh, malignant. You know, y- you don't know when they're going to uh, land and where. And there's going to be this huge glut of product coming back and fighting for. It'll be lots of movies opposite each other on weekends, and that's going to be tough on the indies. The indies are. I bet the indies end up booking commercial movies also. A lot of the it's art houses.
1: Be, yeah, it's going to be gonna a real be challenge. Yeah. yeah. So, well, let's let's turn to another topic because among the other things that are going on that would be in our wheelhouse anyway is the, the developing awards season. And this week, you reported on what I, I assume will be the first of several institutions to amend their qualification rules with with the the HFPA and the Golden Globes uh, not requiring theatrical run. So what, is this, what does this really tell us?
0: Well, if, if all the members of the 90 or so members of the HFPA are sequestered in their homes and there's no movies and theaters, then the old way of doing things, which was to... I, this, is a, this is one of the idiosyncrasies of the Golden Globes, is that the studios and the indies have to book screenings for them. This is part of how they're treated like royalty. And you have the cast and you bring the stars in and they get their own press conferences and junkets of their very own, these 90 people. And so all of that is, is canceled for now until April fifteenth, March fifteenth, April fifteenth. So for the purposes of our argument, March fifteenth is the day that every that everything sort of shut down. Um, and so so now we're we're looking at um, they they have to pick a date for these screenings in the future. And then they have to send them DVDs and screeners to make up for the fact that they're not going to screen it now. It's, it's a, (laughs) and then they have, uh, they're allowing all the different uh, formats to be acceptable during the the, period. If they were supposed uh, to be booked in theaters and then they weren't.
1: The irony obviously is that a lot of HFPA members, like a lot of Academy members would be watching films on screeners anyway. So it's like, it's, it's a rule change that most, isn't really going to change. No, it's a way they
0: they do show up all of them at these screenings. That's, that's their MO and that's how they get access to all the movie stars. I mean, what's interesting is that it developed because They banded together and created this awards thing and all of that because they were weak. In the beginning, they weren't getting access. And it was when they banded together and created this award show that they were actually given the access to the movie stars that they didn't have before. Right, Sort of interesting.
1: It's a good historical context to understand. It's like why why does the golden globes matter and have such influence when it's just 90 people and most of us don't know who they are, you know? So, but, I, but it. I make, it does make you wonder how much longer is it going to be before the academy budges on this and starts to follow suit. Okay. So there's
0: mis- a, there's actually a, um, I, I have a, enough anecdotal evidence now of people who are lobbying them. I mean, there's several examples of things, for example, um, the, uh, Never, rarely, sometimes, always. Um, yes, that one is uh, didn't get a full theatrical run. So the, the, they're thinking about going to VOD. I keep waiting for them to announce that. But part of the issue is that the Academy isn't meeting. The Board of Governors isn't meeting, at least at this as of yesterday, um, until April fourteenth. Uh, so that is when they will discuss these rule changes. Are they going to push the date back? That's what a lot of people would like to see happen so that they could have more time in theaters, especially the Indies who are going to be squeezed out and going to need that uh, extra time. Um, The Oscars are scheduled for February the 28th.
1: I mean, how far would it be?
0: Yeah, it would be March. They used to they used to I don't know how that would work with ABC, with the date, with the television cast, everything. I don't know. But that's what people are
1: asking for.
0: And and there will be a very crowded, glutted uh, time.
1: In, and some uh, stuff just fall. won't be able to come out this year. It'll have to be pushed into next year. So A lot it, of the not... movies
0: that were interrupted, um, I looked up a number of them, are scheduled for 2021 anyway, like Nightmare Alley and uh, movies I like that. It wasn't even
1: finished, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, these are movies that were interrupted, like the Baz Luhrmann-Tom Hanks movie is not until 2021. So the, 2021 could be very crowded. Yes also.
1: we're we're going to feel the reverberations for this for quite some time and of course this is also something that leads into the next topic of discussion here which is the film festivals we're finally past the whole south by southwest of it all the festival managed to convene a jury even though even though it was canceled and they screened all the narrative and, and documentary competition films and gave out awards this week and what I think is significant here is the question of what other festivals should do now that we have one complete case study of, of how a festival can go virtual even though it, it didn't actually happen and still maintain some aspect of it happening the laurels are still there the awards but the, f- the fil- filmmakers get to maintain their premiere status unless other festivals don't want to keep that so i as programmers are talking this through i've heard some people who think that it's fine you could show a movie that was in the South by lineup but call it a world premiere. Others feel like, well, it got some coverage. They, they got an award. That's not really a world premiere. But one thing that I, I've taken away from this is that festivals really should consider some kind of virtual option right now, just because the idea of postponing is such an unknown variable. And even if you postpone, you are, if you've already created some sort of lineup, those films don't benefit from being kept in the limbo and you need to be able to create some sort of infrastructure to support them. Because if you don't and we get out on the other side of it, you're going to be one of those festivals that didn't you know, do the right thing here. So that's well, the other
0: favorite. important thing, too, for the uh, academy is that they're going to need to create some kind of virtual um, eligibility for shorts and things yes. like that that would have mm-hmm. qualified at those festivals. Right. So that's, that's a big so- question that they will have to deal with at the rules thing. I'm sure they'll do that.
1: It's a great point. It's partnered with MailChimp to put something like 75% of the South by Southwest short films online right now for free. You can watch them and they paid the filmmakers for it and everything. It's a very cool idea. And South by is an awards qualifying festival for the films that win, but, if you win in a virtual context, do you maintain that eligibility? Exactly, haven't heard an answer they're gonna have
0: to do something about that. Um, and then um, the other movie that's interesting is Crip Camp, which uh, debuted on Netflix on Wednesday. And was yeah. supposed to have a, a, a week long uh, booking um, to qualify for the Oscars, As which one of, of course never titles. happened. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I watched it last night, it was at uh, Sundance and had, you know, there was a lot of buzz around it, it is the perfect oscar contender i have to say did it you ticks cry? all the boxes i wept of course i did but i'm also a boomer like many people in the academy yeah. they're going to respond to this period picture um, yeah. and all of the all of the uh, uh, activism and the way that they changed the laws for disabled people and it's yeah. just very moving it's a perfect
1: Oscar contender. I also, I mean, what I liked about it is it's like this, the disabilities camp that has the Woodstock vibe. So yeah. it's like all these teenagers who go like party and have sex and do drugs and stuff like that. my get That was very yeah, interesting.
0: Yeah. They, all
1: get, they all get STDs. I, I mean, <laughs> it's not a perfect movie, but it's, it, it's very, it's very in- accessible and it's a good Netflix release. So it's no surprise that they did that and that the, the Obamas are behind it. And of course the Obamas were behind American Factory, which- Indeed, the, the winner.
0: The Oscar winner.
1: Yes, it's a real open question. I'm sure they'll be lobbying for that. And they're they're
0: going for it, and they're assuming that that the rules will will uh you know if 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 there. It's an interesting question because if there is a theatrical booking, then they should be eligible. But there um there are those who who like Tom Bernard at Sony Pictures Classics who's saying. Uh, no, no, no. You have to hold the movie, wait for it to come out again when the theaters are open and you have to be theatrical in order to be eligible for the Oscars. I am betting that the Oscars are not going to take that hard a line on this.
1: No, because if they do, is in spite of people like Tom Bernard, who is, you know, very much... He's very and, and deeply play, you know.
0: embedded in theatrical. Yes. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think the academy. It's his philosophy is, of life. <laughs> but the academy, it's it's it, there's much more empathy towards who's suffering in this situation. I would suspect, given the the membership of the academy, yes, I think they're yeah. going to
0: take care of their own. I think yeah. the pressure. I, if I were betting on on who's in the board of governors and which way they would lean in this situation, I'm I'm pretty sure they're going to try to be helpful, not not uh, draconian.
1: So then, the another thing that happened in the past week was the postponement of the Cannes Film Festival, which was this fascinating kind of an ongoing story. Since you know, people were you know, Cannes is like an hour from the Italian border, the sense that Cannes was going to happen seemed so negligible that it was this it was this real um, bafflement from the industry that. When, the, when they hadn't postponed for so long or said anything. And then when they did, they they did it in a way that, which is what I suspected would happen, that they would only do it if they could do it with a plan. And so their plan at the moment, what they're saying is late June, early July is when the festival- I doubt
0: that's going to happen either. I really but,
1: but, and, got and the it. thing is, what what would be so strange about it is if the fall festivals remain intact, you have a very short window of time in between can and like- Right, ben, is yeah, I asked Institute. around
0: about that a little bit, and a lot of people thought that that would be fine. They really didn't think it would have any negative impact on the fall festivals.
1: Well, but the question There's, is, what 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 impact it has on Can? I mean, why go to Can if if you can go to the fall festivals? It's still you
0: know, for some people, it would still be the better play. Definitely. Exactly.
1: It's going to be a fascinating question, though. And then the Marche, which, you know, last week I had spoken to Jerome, who runs the, mar- the market at Cannes, who is making these plans to, if Cannes was canceled, uh, hold an, a virtual marketplace. But I've checked in with him, and what he told me most recently is, you know, the Marche follows the festival. So if the festival is happening in late June, the Marche is happening in late June. So whatever they were they were trying to do, something with Sinando that I thought was very innovative – that's not currently in the cards because it, there is still this plan for the Cannes Film Festival to happen. So it, it is an open question of what happens until the they cancel.
0: This is what will happen: they're going to cancel Cannes, and then the Marché could go forward as then you they can you go described. Virtual. It, yeah, right.
1: But they have to figure out the window of time if it's canceled in June to early July. Because then they the can market's
0: do an important part of the I mean, part of what we're discussing here is is the vitality and the necessity of all of these different aspects of the industry going forward. It's pretty dismaying to read one story after another about agents being laid off, you know, yeah. because there's and nothing for cuts. them to do, <laughs> nothing cuts, for them yeah. to sell, nothing for them to, to, uh, so, so these, he, these debt ridden often agencies, especially, uh, William Morris Endeavor, that one, it's, it's really tough. Uh, for yeah, them. I mean,
1: I, they don't have, and they're not nimble enough to say pivot to a, a pure, VOD kind of an ecosystem. You know, you got guys like John Sloss saying this is a great moment because everyone's at home and they want to consume content so we can sell more content to, uh, you know, VOD platforms. But it's not something that a giant agency can just overnight Transform into doing that kind of work, and yeah, but else. they're
0: also dependent on things like sports, you know, and right. events, also and concerts, yeah. and all of that. So it's not just the movies. The movies are a small part of of their business. And I yeah. guess I'm thinking, I you know, th- even before the pandemic, th- if, if the, the studios are no longer as robust and and wealthy and and um, Connected to uh, the, the world as they used to be, they did, they're not as important. They're not as big a slice of all the things that people do, and and that's one reason why the theaters are actually vulnerable too. And and it's it it just strikes me that we may emerge from all of this uh, with a much different outlook on things. It's going to be a different picture in, in general.
1: Credit. And, and criticism is is going through an interesting change as well. Yes. So you picked up this story with Kenny Turan announced that he was leaving the LA Times, which is, it would be a After big story no matter almost what. Almost
0: 30 years, yeah. Amazing.
1: Yeah, that that's a big sort of end of an era kind of thing, no matter what's going on in the world. But what, what I appreciated about how you approach the story is also talking to other newspaper critics about what they're doing now because while we exist in an online ecosystem and are very nimble and we can just we can pivot to covering VOD stuff and you know overnight we our our strategy had sort of found its way. But if you're a rank and file critic who writes about new movies opening in theaters, you do have to go through a kind of evolution right now to figure out what your job really is. So I found and that they're to be all,
0: yeah, no, it was it was fun. It was fun to talk. I so Joe Morganstern of the Wall Street Journal and Ty Burr of the Boston Globe were both describing, you know, watching things at home on their home televisions and and which they've been doing anyway. People get screeners all the time. I mean that's nothing new. And uh, but they're doing Doing uh, more streaming, they're doing more of the movies like. All right, so you and I both saw the Invisible Man. I mean, that's the kind of thing. Now you have movies that are opening online, and and yeah. um, and more more titles like like that. Uh, Baccarat, you know, things like that. So that's what they're covering. They're covering uh, Swallow and and Baccarat
1: and things like that. Um, what did you think yeah. of
0: Invisible Man? Finally,
1: yeah. Um... I was mostly let down by it. I enjoyed aspects. I think Elizabeth Moss getting to play a Handmaid's Tale type of person with actual payoff, you know, that was really gratifying. It's got this fun kind of pulpy Quality to it where it's like a Me Too revenge story. In the what you mean
0: is that she's of... under the thumb of an abusive husband, yeah, who is not, actually not gets... allowed to have agency. So, the degree she to which she, she finds it is she that's finds the point it. of the movie, yeah,
1: yeah, and I, and I enjoyed that. I think, um. The issue I had with this movie is that it's very underwritten and it just gets sillier and sillier in the ending. It's like I wanted it to be more satisfying than it actually was, but it just didn't seem like it was up to the task of embodying the sophistication of its themes in quite the same way. And so I I was left wanting more, but also appreciating a lot of what was on the surface.
0: I will tell you that I was alone in my living room watching this movie on a dark and stormy night in Los Angeles, and it scared the shit out of me. I have to say it was effective in that way and i was able to hang on to elizabeth moss uh, for dear life i thought she carried it really well it's a handsome movie i agree with you that it's underwritten the part that didn't work for me for those of you who haven't seen it please forgive me um, there's a little bit of flopping around with invisible antagonists that were sort of silly that that stuff didn't work but that's like
1: classic blumhouse like how can we do this the cheapest way possible Elizabeth <laughs> Moss to roll around in the kitchen and kick in the air for that's times what it looked like. It it's like a weird experimental theater exercise.
0: Exactly. Classic, so classic something about that really did not work. Um, but otherwise I I enjoyed I enjoyed it. And, and I also enjoyed the hunt.
1: The, yeah, the, hunt, fun, right? uh,
0: the hunt is really entertaining, and uh, this wonderful actress who I was not familiar with, Betty Gilpin, was um, a is a real Clint Eastwood figure who emerges from this group of people who are being hunted down as the one who might survive, and uh, and eventually she goes up against the real antagonist of the piece, um, who's played by Hilary Swank, who, thanks to Million Dollar Baby, has the chops to be a, a formidable action yeah. um, antagonist.
1: So, you got to give props to Craig Zobel, the director too. I mean, if you've seen his earlier films, like Compliance, A Great World of Sound, you wouldn't know that he would have something like this in him, but he also directed some great stuff on Westworld, among other, among other, than The Leftovers, and and so that this was an opportunity to, to flex some some new kinds of muscles. And I think what's kind of cool about it is that it builds to this really rough, visceral showdown. It reminded me of that fistfight in They Live. You know, it's like yeah. it goes. Past to the point of being, you know, an intense action scene and it becomes like slapstick comedy or something. And that's it's it's the high point of the movie. But also you have to get into the themes here. I mean, there was so much made about this film being, you know, controversial because it's like the liberals hunting the right wingers. But honestly, I think it, you know, it's it's a little, it's very silly and over the top and blunt and stuff. It's not it's unlike Baccarat but, in
0: some ways, <laughs> yeah, if you think about Baccarat
1: it. Baccarat is, is, is a much more on another level but it's an interesting point of comparison that they are both about you know society coming apart at the seams and, and, and literally you know firing shots at each other in a, in a sort of power struggle this one I think what, what I enjoyed about it was that it, it kind of feels like depending on whose side you're on you still end up being no matter which side you're on you still end up being on the Betty Gilpin character side because she's She's either apolitical or she just hasn't really had the opportunity to figure out what her worldview really is. And I found that to be a very interesting way of exploring this issue. And in a
0: kind of Clint Eastwood way, she is military, which helps to explain why she's able to do all the the pyrotechnics and and action feats that she can. Um, So she surprises you because you don't know anything about her and whatever. And that's what the twist at the end is all about. I love that. I love
1: that. So I'm I've been really enjoying hearing from people who are like binging all the stuff on Criterion Channel and all that kind of stuff. I don't know what I'm going to dig through this weekend, but it's it's I, I won't want to say fun in, in the face of a pandemic where people are losing their lives, but it it has been I think in some ways a very engaging experience in a new way to see how people take advantage of the opportunity to expand the reach of what they can watch.
0: Well, you're covering a little more TV and I'm entering into the Emmy season. So I have been catching up on a lot of stuff, but I will tell you that on March the 17th, I indulged myself that's St. Patrick's Day and watched John Ford's A Quiet Man, which which was, you know, just for fun. So I'm allowing a little bit of that. To occur, I watched um, Miles Davis's Birth of the Cool on Netflix, which was really fun, um, and 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 things like that. On the other hand, I will recommend uh, Years and Years, which uh, oh, yeah. is very timely now. Man, is well, it, it keeps. It-
1: the thing about the years and years is it keeps jumping forward in time so it's, it's like if it hasn't hit the zeitgeist at one point maybe the next one will and so it's, it really does it watching so the,
0: what had happened on that is that I had watched about half of them of the episode I think there's six episodes so I had watched about half it's a limited series so uh, I finished it up the other night and I was just weeping um, it's so intense how it ends and I, well, I if any um, of you have missed it it's it's Richard it's it Russell quite. T Davies uh, you know the guy behind uh, a lot of other things like Doctor Who and so on. So, you know, check it out.
1: But it's not Doctor Who, like, it's much more, I think. Oh, it's uh, a serious family drama. Yeah, Very British. I haven't finished it, so I I will finish that. It's a good reminder, and we'll probably be watching some some older films as well. I I would recommend this new Netflix miniseries that just dropped called Unorthodox, which is uh, based on a true story about a woman who escaped... uh, as uh, a 19-year-old woman who escaped a Hasidic community in Williamsburg, went to Berlin to find her mother, and then these two kind of like Hasids who are – one of them is, is almost like a bounty hunter sent off to like bring her back, go chasing after her. It's four episodes each. is an hour long, and it's incredibly involving. This young actress, Shira Haas, who I believe is Israeli, looks like Gene Seberg, but the, the drama is like it's like a Darden Brothers kind of a thriller, and it's mostly in Yiddish. So it's it's a completely original mini series experience that's really well suited for a Netflix kind of platform so I hope people check it out um it's it's very different from other kinds of shows you might be binging on there it, it is nothing like uh love is blind i can tell you that much but
0: um <laughs> <laughs> my other favorite is the outsider which which is really incredible on uh hbo the with, i
1: need with, to catch up on that too that yeah.
0: one is is it's richard price and dennis lahaine and and the writing is amazing the directing is amazing and of course uh you can never go wrong um with ben Mendelssohn basically, or Cynthia Rivo. So uh, it's pretty, and, and Bill Camp is in it too. And, and, and uh, uh, you know, it's just a great cast. Great, great, great uh, series. Very scary. Also Stephen very scary. King, I
1: mean, Stephen King material always kind of has something worth checking out from the get go. I mean, it feels like we're perpetually living in the golden age of Stephen King storytelling. So there's something there too. Um, so next week who knows what we'll be talking about I'm sure we'll have some updates on festivals and uh, film release dates and whatever's going on with movie theaters but and I hope that you get some chance to sneak outdoors with six feet of distance around no whatever, worries. I'm out
0: every day just okay. like you are
1: enjoy the world have a nice weekend and I'll talk to you soon bye bye Eric